Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Well, we've been in the book of Galatians, a journey of grace, because that's the underlying theme that, that runs all through the book of Galatians, is that, that God's grace is more than enough, that his grace is all we need. So we called it a journey of grace. It's not a race of grace, it's a journey of grace because we're getting to a destination. His grace carries us through all the way to the finish line if we'll let it, if we'll tap into it. And we started off and, and the stage was set and we remember that, that what was going on here, this is a first century church, okay? So these are the first folks that were able to inherit the promise that Jesus Christ paid the price for all of their sins and that they didn't any longer have to do all these works of the law to be able to have salvation, to be able to be righteous, if you will, which means to be in right standing with God. And these Judaizers had come in, so these folks that had come in and they were going, yeah, 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 we're, we're good with the Messiah, we're, we're great that he paid for our sin, we're good with that, but what you don't understand is, is you still need to get circumcised. You still need to do this like a Jew. You still have to obey the works of the law to be saved. So it's that plus Jesus, and then you're good. And that's what Paul's addressing in the church. He's like, what are you talking about? And he wanted to help him with that because we're gonna to see tonight that when we get stuck in that place, man, Christianity is a difficult, painful thing. Uh, it's hard to walk out when you're pulling against the law because the law reveals some things in ourselves. So we're gonna read this in four blocks of scripture. And the first block of scripture is gonna be uh, verses one through six. And I'm gonna go ahead and take off with that. Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, then Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. That's a heavy statement alienated from Christ and you've fallen away from grace for through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love he's saying hey look if you're trying to look for some sort of sign then the only thing that matters is that you trust in Christ and the finished work that he did, and then in and through that, that ought to be expressed through you in love. You ought to be loving folks around you. You ought to be putting others above yourself. You want a measuring stick? There's your measuring stick. That's what he's saying with that. So let's jump back up to verse one. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. These aren't in your notes. This is all freebie stuff right here. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Look at that, he doubles up on that. He says, man, the whole purpose that he set you free was so you could be free. 
And that first word freedom in the Greek, man, I looked it up because I love when I see things in the word and it's like, okay, well, there's two words right there. I wonder if those mean the exact same thing. And these are actually two different words. And that first word for freedom actually has to do with the Mosaic law. He's saying, hey, look, Christ sets you free from the Mosaic law. He set you free from that thing. And he did so, so that you could be free, so that you could have liberty. So so that you could make choices now on your own, separate and apart from that, so that you could live a different lifestyle by choice. And it was for freedom that he did that. And notice that he says that it was, it was Christ that did that. That's a powerful statement because he didn't say Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah's name, but Christ was a title. Christ was the title that he carried that means the anointed one. So here's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying the only individual that could possibly pay the price for your freedom was the anointed one, the Christ. And he did it. He paid your price because he's the anointed one. Uh, I believe it's in Luke 11 where there's this account and they, they come to Jesus and he's casting out demons. He's doing all these miracles and the Pharisees try to trip him up and they're like, man, he's doing all this by the power of Satan. And Jesus is like, boy, that's stupid. What are you talking about? A house divided against itself, it, it can't stand. I, there's no way that I do that. And then he goes on to elaborate on that and he says, let me tell you what's really going on here. If you wanna go into a strong man's house and plunder his house, somebody stronger's gotta go in and take care of this take care of him. Somebody's got to go in there, tie him up, take away his armor that he's been standing on, and then you can plunder his house. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's, he's saying, Jesus went into the strong man's house, he bound him up, he took away his armor, and then he plundered his house. He plundered what the enemy was holding on to, which was people. And only Christ could do that. And, and Paul is driving that home for a reason because they're trying to get knotted up in this other thing. Yeah, I'm gonna touch on that too. And he says, do not let yourselves be yoked or burdened again by a yoke of slavery. A yoke was this wood thing that they would put around the neck of two animals, usually two oxen. And so it would pair up these two oxen or multiple animals together and they would move together in the same direction to accomplish a task. And he's saying, hey, look, if you put the law back on, uh, another way you could say that is, is if you begin to try to rely on yourself again, your own strength to gain righteousness, then you're putting this yoke of slavery back on. And Pastor Dave preached about how, man, we're no longer slaves. Well, here's the crazy thing. I started chewing on that and thinking about that. If you're putting this yoke on, there's gotta be something else in that yoke with you because it took two. And immediately I started thinking about uh, Romans 7, 7 through 25, where Paul says, hey, the law's good. The law's holy. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's perfect. The issue's with me because the law shows me where I'm messed up. I saw the law and it brought to light covetousness in my heart is what Paul said. And then all of a sudden I realized, my goodness, I covet this, I covet that, I covet this, I covet that. And he said, 
So when you're relying on yourself, because Paul was a Pharisee before he became a Christian, he relied on the law, he relied on self-righteousness. He's saying, if you put that yoke of slavery back on you, then your running mate over here on the other side of this yoke is sin because it's in your flesh. And so you're trying to get to the end, the righteousness part where you're in right standing with God and you're pulling and you're pulling and you're pulling and it's so difficult and it's so hard because sin is not working with you, it is working against you. Your flesh is working against you. Your spirit's trying to get there, but your flesh is pulling and this thing over here is going this way. And so then when you get tired from pulling against it, well, then you trip up and you stumble and you end up over here in addictions and habits and all of these things back in sin because you're trying to do it yourself. Hmm. So what we see is, number one in your notes, is that the cost of righteousness is perfection. If you want right standing, the cost is perfection. Uh, you, you see it in our notes. The first kind that you would see uh, would be self-righteousness. And that requires our perfect adherence to the law. Look at verse three. He says, obligated to keep the whole law. If you're gonna keep any of it, you gotta keep all of it. So the price for self-righteousness, in other words, your own ability to put yourself in right standing with God is complete and perfect obedience to the law. You have to perform not only in action and in deed, but in the heart as well, because that's where the Pharisees were missing it. Their heart wasn't connected to it, and so they were in sin. Or the other kind of perfection that you're going to rely on is, is the next point in our notes, letter B, is his righteousness. But his righteousness requires our perfect reliance on grace. It requires us to perfectly rely on grace and grace alone to be in right standing with the God of heaven and that's where we have to stand. Uh, if you look at verse five, it says, for through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope for. It's through this faith, through this trust in God that then our righteousness comes. Now, I gotta tell you, uh, I gave you a, a definition of grace in your notes because um, we hear all these wonderful things that grace is the unmerited favor of God. Yes and amen, I'm, I'm down with that. That grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve and that mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And can I tell you, I heard those things when I was a younger Christian and I would amen those things, but I didn't really, it's like, okay, but what, what does that really mean? So I went back to the Greek. Remember New Testament in Greek. So the definition of grace in the Greek, it's this word charis. It means favored, disposed to, inclined, favorable towards, leaning towards to share benefit. Ooh, I like that. Leaning towards to share benefit properly. Grace is preeminently used of the Lord's favor, freely extended to give himself away to people because he is always leaning towards them. Sorry, my allergies are getting me. <laughs> If you don't get anything else out of, night, out of tonight, here's what you need to know. The position of your God is this. He is constantly leaning towards you in favor. I think that so many times we see God in a different light. Yeah, God's grace is amazing. So many times we see God 
doing this, almost as if he's pulling back, waiting on us to fumble in and of ourselves so that he can punish us. Some of that has to do with upbringing, possibly. Uh, maybe parents that, that meant well but didn't know how to do it. Maybe through choices that you made in your own life. I know for me, it was a combination of some of all of the above. And so to grasp this concept that God is leaning towards you to give you benefit and favor, that's worth the price of admission. Let's look at that second block of scripture. Uh, Starting in verse seven, he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. But I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, then why am I still being persecuted? These Judaizers had actually convinced the Galatian church (laughs) that Paul was still out preaching circumcision. And he must have had a flip phone because he couldn't just call him and talk to him about it. I, I don't know what was going on. So that's what they used as bait. They got in there and they said, no, 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 Paul's still preaching circumcision. Y'all need to know that. We heard him. That's what he said. So y'all need to get on board with this program. Mm. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished, he says. If that's the case, then I'd be released. I wouldn't even be tied up anymore. I wouldn't be in chains. I wouldn't be being persecuted because I'd be agreeing with the people that have done this to me. I'd be saying, no, I agree. We got to work this out in and of ourselves. The cross, it didn't mean anything. He's saying, hey, that's not what happened. And then he has some real strong words. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Paul was a dude's dude, wasn't he? (laughs) So here's our next point. And this one is important. Grace gives us the strength to run the right race. Grace gives us the strength to run the right race. Verse seven, he said, you were running a good race. This whole thing that we're doing here on earth, it's a race. We're headed towards a finish line. And there's two finish lines. And he's saying, you were running the good one. You were doing this thing right. You were running the right race. And what we see is is that that grace is actually what gives us the strength to run that race. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Man, y'all are awesome in the booth. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. But he said, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Here's what he said. (laughs) When I'm going through all this stuff, maybe life is really difficult. Maybe I'm facing a bunch of hardships. Maybe I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian. No matter what it is, in that weakness, God's grace is sufficient for me. And that was straight from the mouth of God to Paul. You want to see it again? Look over at Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. 
This is how you tap into that grace. Grace is one of the things that I, I think often as Christians, we uh, miss the opportunity to truly use it for what God intended it for, which is to strengthen us when we're going through, the, through these things. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Approach God's grace with confidence. We don't go before his throne in fear. We're his children. He's leaning towards us. He wants us to come into his throne room. That's how we grab hold of grace. We go and we sit at his throne with him. We tuck up right against him. And then notice what it says his throne is. His throne that he sits on is grace. The very seat of power in heaven that God sits on is grace. And that's what he's sitting on. And it says that then when we go there, that we can make our petitions known and we'll receive mercy. But then he'll also give us his grace to weather and face whatever it is that we're going through. Negative, uh, bad report from a doctor, loss of a job, hard times in your marriage, you name it, a job that is just, you can approach his throne of grace and he will infuse you with his grace so that you can persevere and overcome. That's the purpose of grace. Mm. Now, our next point is, Watch out for subtle obstacles. I put subtle for a reason. Uh, in verse seven, he said, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Who cut in on you? Uh, the picture there is, is that, man, all of a sudden there was this, this obstacle that maybe you didn't realize was an obstacle to your race. See, if we're driving down the road in our car and we see a boulder in the middle of the road, that's not subtle. We go, oh man, I probably shouldn't hit that. That looks like a problem. But how about at 10 o'clock at night on a winter night when it's 28 degrees outside and a little layer of moisture's come in and you think you might possibly see something on the road, you're not sure, and then bam, all of a sudden you're all over the road. You hit a patch of black ice. It was a subtle obstacle. You didn't really see it. It kind of snuck up on you. You thought maybe something was off, but by the time you decided to react, it was too late and you ended up all over the road. It's the same way with this. If we're not careful, the enemy will come in and he will subtly try to get you just from here to here. That's all it takes. Because for the first 10 steps, this isn't any big deal. But by the time I walk to the back of this building, man, I'm way off in the corner and I have missed the exit. It's those little subtle things and that's how the enemy will try to trip you up and get you. So we gotta watch out for those subtle obstacles. Uh, verses 13 through 18. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire command for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. What the heck happened there at the end of all that? He's talking about being led by the spirit so that you don't satisfy the works of the flesh. It was all about, hey, if you let the spirit lead you, if you walk in this thing we call grace through the spirit, he'll empower you so that you don't indulge the the lust of the flesh. But then he ends up back talking about the law. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Remember that yoke? (laughs) When you try to fulfill it on your own, you can't help but stumble in your flesh. You can't help it. Because none of us could be strong enough and good enough in and of our own self to ever not sin, so you end up falling in sin. That's what the word says. I didn't say it. And then if you look at, uh, you know what, that's that, I don't know if I already told you this or not. In Romans 7, 7 through 25, it's powerful. You should go back and, and read it. It's a, it's a beautiful account where Paul is trying to explain what this whole thing looks like in our flesh. And he says, man, the good that I want to do, that I don't do, but what I don't want to do, that's what I do. And man, who is going to save me from this body of sin? And then he goes on to give us the answer and say, oh yeah, that's right, Jesus. That's right. Because he knew, hey, the law reveals the sin in me and then I realize there's absolutely no way I can do this in and of myself. So what we see is, uh, our next point is, is that grace does give us the freedom to choose. We've talked about that license to sin. That has been the age old debate forever and ever, amen, since Jesus came out of the grave. Is, is grace a license to sin? If I sin, then do I go to hell? It, did, did Jesus really pay the whole price? So we're gonna look at that here in just a second, okay? But grace does give us the freedom to choose. And if we look at the beginning of our text that we read in verse 13, he says, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. He says, hey, look, you have the freedom to choose that now if you want to. If you want to choose to live by the flesh, you can. That's your choice. Jesus paid a stiff price for you to be able to make that choice, but it's your choice. You can make it if you want to. Jesus said in John 8, 34, that you're gonna lose some freedom possibly if that happens because anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So then you have forfeited this freedom that Jesus gave you. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about freedom, okay? I'm talking about being bound in addiction to something. I'm talking about the broken, busted mess that we can find ourselves in where we feel like we're all alone and we can't get out of it because we've chosen to live by the flesh. That's what that's about, okay? And we have to keep that in the forefront of our mind. So you can choose to live by the flesh. It's your choice. Or you can choose life by the spirit. You can choose life by the spirit. Uh, Verse 16 says, hey, guess what? If you choose life by the spirit, then you won't satisfy the lusts and the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say you'll never sin again. He just says that you simply won't live a lifestyle where that's what you're satisfying, that you are living to satisfy the cravings in your flesh. Uh, And that's what I kind of want to look at now, okay? Okay. Verse 19, 
The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. That's a big word, even in the Greek. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, hold on to that for me, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, then let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Really what we see here is that life is about roots and fruits. We're gonna break that down a little bit. Life is about roots and fruits. John 15, five, Jesus said, hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the trunk, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, then you will bear much fruit. Isn't that funny that it talks about the fruit of the spirit? You will bear much fruit if you stay connected to Jesus. Staying connected to Jesus infuses us with the power of grace, by the way. So let's look at this roots and fruits really quick. The root of self-righteousness, if you are relying on yourself and all that you can do to have righteousness, a right standing with God, then the fruit that will grow on your branches are eventually acts of the flesh. I'll prove it here in just a second because you're looking at me crazy. Here's how I'll prove it. John 8 uh, woman caught in adultery. Pharisees bring her to Jesus. These were people who were self-righteous. They were self-righteous. Our text says in John 8 that they caught her in the very act. Have you ever considered how in the world this group of Pharisees caught a woman in the very act of adultery? Might just have been one of them. Possibly. I don't know. I wasn't there. But we do know that they were looking at minimum. And when they caught her in the act, in their self-righteousness to prove their point of the law, look how good we are. What are you gonna do with this one, Jesus? Their self-righteousness led to an act of the flesh. They were willing to commit murder just to prove a point. They were willing to murder someone they were self-righteous. It leads to sin. That's an ugly condition of the heart. That's sin. But the root of God's grace grows the fruit of the Spirit. If you root yourself in God's grace and put all your eggs in the basket that it's his righteousness that's been given to us through the work of Jesus, then the fruit of the spirit is what will grow on the branches of your tree. Does that make sense? If you ever want to do a self-check on that, remember this, self-righteousness will always point to self. That's why it's called self-righteousness. <laughs> but grace will always point to Christ. If our actions and our deeds are ever about saying, hey, look at me, then we've probably tripped up and stepped over into some self-righteousness because our acts and our deeds ought to say, 
Look at what he did. Look at what he did. And that's how you can keep it in check. But every single bit of this starts with accepting his grace, with stepping into a relationship with him and accepting the full price that Jesus paid so that you can be righteous and right standing with God. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.